0: We pray together. Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you that you have not left us to wonder about you and your purposes in the world, but you have revealed yourself uh, in your word and in the work of your Son. So come now and open our eyes that we might see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to believe, and our wills that they'd be willing to do your will, so that you'd be glorified that our our good would be served, and that we'd be equipped to love you and our neighbor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know how uh, sometimes a teacher or a professor or maybe a driver's ed instructor, maybe even a supervisor at work will say something like, now this is going to be on the test, right? You've heard that before. And it's an invitation for you to pay a little closer attention for your own good, right? I think that's what's happening in the passages that were read for us today. In Exodus 12, we're in the context of the great rescue event of the Old Testament, the event um, to which salvation in Christ is often linked, right? The, the Exodus, the deliverance from Egypt. And here in Exodus 12, Moses basically says, passing on God's instruction to him to the people, he says, uh, "You're going to institute this practice." And you're going to do it forever so that you remember what happened here and so that you can pass this on. This is really important. In 1 Corinthians, what was read, we've got what is laid out like a typical letter greeting at that time, follows a format. But Paul, in, in his, as he does, if you look at his letters, he craftily weaves in certain things that are going to be especially important for these people at, at Corinth. And it might be interesting if you're looking for something to meditate on later, just go through those first nine verses and think about what is Paul drawing out this is really important for this young, gifted, arrogant, divisive church to pay attention to as they try to make their way in Christ. And here in John 1, which is where we'll focus our time this morning, we have John the Baptist two times calling everyone, and us included, to behold, pay attention, look here, don't, don't miss this. Uh, and that concept of behold reminds me of I don't know how many of you have seen You're a Good Man Charlie Brown. Anybody ever seen the musical You're a Good Man Charlie Brown? A few of you. Makes me think of Snoopy and Suppertime. You guys remember this? Snoopy's laying on his, his dog house and he's, you know, daydreaming as he always does, and Charlie Brown's standing there with the dish waiting, and finally he says, Snoopy, I've been standing here with five minutes with your your dish. It's supper time, and Snoopy sits up and he says, Suppertime? It's supper time? And then he picks up the dish. And he, he holds it up, you know, sort of like that Lion King thing. He holds it up and he says, "Behold a brimming bowl of meat and meal which is brought forth to ease our hunger. Behold the flowing flagon, moist and sweet, which has been sent to slake our thirst." And then he breaks into this huge song and dance about supper time. And <laughs> at, at the end, Charlie Brown's like, "Good grief, why can't you just eat your supper like every other dog?" <laughs> And maybe Snoopy is too into one meal, but it's a good picture of this invitation to behold, to give our full attention to and soak up the details and the importance of and find deeper joy and delight and appreciation for what maybe has become old and tired or what maybe is new and strange and scary. And so that, that raises an interesting question this morning, too. Who needs to behold? Who needs to pay attention to this text and what's in here? Well, maybe maybe you're new. Maybe you're new to restoration. Maybe you're new to church in general. You're investigating. Or maybe you're not investigating. You're being dragged along by somebody to be here this morning. And you're not sure about Christians or about this their Jesus. And that's understandable, frankly, because we are, we're a messy bunch. Um, and that is true. But... Jesus is whom you should behold to figure out what this is all about. And maybe you're bored with this whole drill. Maybe you got your degree in Bible and theology. You've done ministry, so you know how the sausage is made. You've won every sword drill that you've ever participated in. This is your 17th time to read through the Bible in a year, or maybe it's your 57th time. I don't know. Um, but where is the excitement? And it's never in the right answers. It's never in more information. It's in the person. It's in the relationship. Jesus is whom you can behold to recenter and hopefully refine a spark. And maybe you're messy. I said we're a messy lot. Maybe you're messy and you're feeling it, especially this morning. You're bruised and broken by the fall, by your own sin, by the sin of others against you. You're confused by this cultural moment, as many of us are jesus is whom you can behold to find identity and direction in this world so at john's john the baptist invitation let's pay a little closer attention for our own good to jesus i have two big points i want us to think about together this morning the first is behold very simple very clever on my part and the second is two words beheld all right so behold and beheld behold let's slow down together Look at Jesus as John presents him. Beheld, let's talk a little bit about what our lives might look like going out from here. If we are held, if we are captivated, gripped, shaped by what we see and behold about Jesus. Okay, so first behold. And that's in the first paragraph that was read in John 1, 29 through 34. Uh, John primarily says three things we should behold about Jesus here. The first is behold The Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is no small thing that John says sin. If you are paying attention to the Bible story, the way the Bible unfolds its story of the world, sin is the big problem. That's the big one. And it's not because God is nitpicky and a cosmic killjoy with a bad temper. Rather, it's because going against God's instruction and intention breaks things, you know most parents that I know would say to their children, don't run out into the street without looking both ways for cars. Not because their cosmic killjoys are nitpicky, right? But because bad things can happen if you run out in the street without looking for cars. And that's how we have to understand God and and his instructions and why sin is bad and why the church talks about sin all the time. It's because it wrecks things. It wrecks relationships with God, with self, with others. It wrecks our physical well-being. It wrecks the created world itself. Sin is the big problem in the Bible story. And what John says is, Jesus is the one who fixes it. He came to take away the sin of the world. That's huge. We need to behold and pay attention to that. How does he do that? How much time do we have this morning, right? Like the whole Bible talks about how he does it. Pages and pages of theology have been written to understand this amazing work of redemption that Jesus has wrought. Jesus here or John focuses here on Jesus as the Lamb of God, which conjures for his people and for us, because it was just read for us, the story of the Passover, the story of Exodus and the Passover as a critical moment, the heart of which is substitution. So as we think about his work of deliverance, of taking away the sin of the world this morning, let's think about this picture of substitution and what that means for us. In Exodus 12, the story goes like this. Each household was to take a lamb and it had to be a lamb without blemish. It couldn't be crippled or sick or one that you would kill anyway. It had to be one that was good and worth keeping around. You had to take that lamb and each household had to substitute or or sacrifice its own lamb. So the two principles we have are without blemish doesn't deserve to be killed. And it represents it substitutes for the household. And each one had to have their own. And that what happened was if that lamb was sacrificed and the blood of that lamb marked that household then it was spared. And Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is perfect. He has not sinned. He has not gone against the father's will. He has not brought destruction into the world. He doesn't deserve to die. But he becomes the substitute. He takes the place of Everyone who puts their trust in him, in his sacrifice on the cross. And so the penalty is paid and everybody who is covered by his blood, they're spared. That is the picture and that is the reality. And there are really so many things to think about with that. But two things to think I want you to think about this morning. One is to remember that that is not a cold transaction. That is motivated by love. John says later, for God so loved the world. That he sent his only son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. God, the one who demands the punishment, is the one who in love provides the substitute to take the punishment. Don't miss that reality as you look at the Lamb of God. It's motivated by love. And the other thing that that you you need to take with this substitute is that it, it really is a substitute, meaning that the penalty really was paid in full. Right? Completely paid. Like it went on Him instead of you. And therefore it can't be brought back upon you. Forgiveness is possible not because God is nice for a moment and lets it go, looks the other way. At least for now, as long as you behave. That's not how it works. Forgiveness is possible and dare I say mandatory because the, the penalty has been paid in full by the Lord Jesus. There's a young woman that um, I met at the University of Minnesota. When I met her, you know, she said, oh, "You're a pastor," and I said, "Yeah, she—that's—I love talking about religion as long as you're not going to tell me there's only one way to God." That's where we started with her, and I was like, "Okay, well, let's have some conversations. You go first, you know, that kind of thing." Um, so uh, we started hanging out a little bit, and she started coming to our church, and and she started talking like a christian and talking like a believer and one time i was having lunch with her and i i said to her would would you call yourself a christian now and she said yeah i would and i said well what 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 is your understanding and this reflects her background a little bit a little bit of a rough background but she looked at me and she said i mean it's like this i deserve a whooping and he took it for me and that's just beautiful that's what she said that's just beautiful and here's the thing, it, the whooping can't come back, right? The whooping can not come back. In Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you are in, you belong, you are loved. And no one can tell you otherwise. And if you don't know that already, if you don't have that already, how do you get that? I want that. How do I get that for me? The picture of the blood on the doorpost is a great picture. You know, they sacrifice the Lamb israel did and then they marked their household with that blood and that that's what it means that's what faith in jesus is is to to say i'm under the blood of jesus i put myself i i I grab him by faith and i put myself under his blood i identify with him and what he's done i take that for me that's all it is and then god looks at you with forgiveness and love and acceptance because of what jesus has done behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world second thing to behold behold he who baptizes with the holy spirit He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So not only do we have to summarize how Jesus takes away the sin of the world this morning, we have to summarize the doctrine of the Holy Spirit briefly. Um, Rick can take that. You just ask him afterwards. He'll give you the the cliff notes on that. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack that can't be done this morning. But There's one big summary of what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, It means power. Jesus says to the disciples in Acts 1, wait and you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and the ends of the earth. It's, it's power that Jesus gives to us for what? For, for doing his will uh, to, in order to be faithful. This is part of how he takes away the sin of the world. Not only he forgives the penalty of it, but he gives us the power to live differently. By giving us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the ability to walk in righteousness, to turn from sin so that we don't do things that hurt ourselves and others and bring destruction into the world and bring down human flourishing. And he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to actually not just turn from, but proactively advance his kingdom and pursue good and do things that are for flourishing, are for his glory, are for the good of others. Did you know that in the Old Testament it says that the artists who decorated, made all the decorations, fancy ornate things for the tabernacle, did so because they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, we, we tend to think about the Holy Spirit's work as conversion and, and, you know, conviction of sin and that is true and there's so much more of giving us the ability to advance God's kingdom and do the work that He calls us to do. The Holy Spirit is for personal holiness, for effective communication of the gospel, and faithful work for God's glory and human flourishing in the arts and all other types of endeavor. So, Jesus came to pour out the Spirit upon you, to give you power. The Spirit can help you be more patient with your friends, with your kids, turn from habitual sin, yes. And the Spirit can empower you to run your business according to kingdom values and motivate you uh, to innovate in your industry for the common good. This is the power of the Holy Spirit poured out that Jesus brought for us. Behold Jesus who can give you all of that. And the third thing that John says to behold here in this passage is right at the end. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is what God is like, he says. If you want to know what God is like, look, behold this one. He's the offspring. As you read about Jesus throughout the Gospels, hard on hypocrisy, gentle on vulnerability and brokenness, inviting reconciliation, casting vision for human flourishing. As you read about that, you're seeing what God is like. You're seeing what the God who is there is like. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this culturally, but in the last couple of years, I've noticed many more references to the universe. I don't, have you guys seen this in, in, in a uh, What am I trying to say in entertainment, movies and TV, but also in conversations? I hear people saying the universe smiled on me today or the universe seems to be against me today. There's this there's this movement to concretize some sort of hope that there's a force or purpose bigger and more capable than us that might bring good into our lives. And I think it's just an expression of the reality that we know that there's got to be something. There's got to be some purpose. There's got to be some power we can appeal to in our need and weakness and so people are talking about there's hope in a, the universe is doing this and that. Well, there is such a power. Jesus makes it known, makes him known. There is a God and he's good and we get to know him through Jesus. So in our confusion and in the hard times where we are not going to know what will happen, we can know who is at work because we behold Jesus. And I was doing campus ministry uh, in, at the University of Nebraska back a number of years. I was leading a Bible study with a fraternity house, Um, and uh, early one fall, they had a freshman student who was playing pickup football at the rec center, and just one of those crazy stories where his heart just stopped, and he just dropped dead in the rec center on campus. And so uh, the student that I knew at this fraternity house called me and said, will you come and talk to the guys? Like I can't remember if it was that night or the night after. So like, yeah, of course, I'll come. And then it's 24 hours of what in the world uh, do I say? And so as I prayed about it and thought about it, um, Hebrews 1 is what landed on me. And I went to them and I talked about Hebrews 1. And, and Hebrews 1 says this. Let me read it to you. I'll tell you where I focused in particular. But Hebrews 1 says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And I read that with them and I said, what I want you guys to know is that when your friend died, there was somebody upholding the universe by the word of his power. And I think the guy who invited me looked at me like, are you crazy? Like, why why are you telling them this? Why are you making God look bad? And the reason is because the question is not, is there somebody in control? The question is, is he good? And that's what I wanted to talk to them about. When we don't understand, when we can't figure out why and what and how, is there somebody we can trust? Behold, Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who came to baptize you with power by the Holy Spirit. Behold him. He is good and he is trustworthy. We can know him and we can rest in him. We can cast our doubts and cares upon this one. He came and gave us standing, gave us power, and he gives us the truth. Behold, Jesus. And then beheld by him. And I think that's what the next, chat or the next paragraph talks about. We get another behold. John says again, behold the Lamb of God. But this time we, sh- we see reactions, right? He doesn't tell us things to behold. We see reactions to this Lamb of God. And, and there are two responses. The first one is follow him. When you behold the Lamb of God and you're held by him, what do you do? You, you follow him. And so we have this vignette with these disciples. And I, I love this in verse 35 and following. There's two of John's disciples and he says, behold the Lamb of God. And they're like, all right. you know. They just, they just go. And I, I, I picture it like they sort of like, this is what we must do. But, but then in my mind. They're walking after Jesus, and it says Jesus sees them following, and he turns around. And I picture, like, it's sort of like this weird stalker thing going on. You know, like, he's walking, he turns, and, and they're, you know, they're like, they're like, hey, so what's your name? And then he walks, and then they're like, so, oh, look over, you know, like, there's this weird, and then finally, I'm sure that's not how it happened, but it sort of helps me dig, dive into the moment. And then Jesus turns around, right, and he says to them, hey, guys, what are you looking for? Which is, in one sense, sort of a weird, superficial question, and yet, like, so deep, and like, like, uh. and I think it feels to me, again, like, they're sort of stuck by that question, like, oh, we're caught, we're following him, what are you looking for? And it feels like this distraction tactic, so, where are you staying? You know, like, you get, what's your pad, like, you know, kind of thing. So, I've always wondered about this, this question, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come and see. And so I was trying to figure this out besides just my awkward you know, scenario that I like to play out in my head. And I looked at um, the African Bible commentary, which is something that Langham has published, all written by um, African authors, pastors, uh, scholars, and so on, commenting on the whole Bible by African writers for uh, African people and pastors and so on. And and this is what they said in there. They said um, two things. First of all, they call him rabbi which is a really good move on their part, which is to acknowledge that he is a teacher from whom they need to learn. So there's a humility in there. They're caught, they're following him. Rabbi, they get something, right? They express the humility of that to humble themselves as learners. And the question about where he is staying gets at the kind of life that he would lead them into. That's what the, I thought that was really insightful from the commentator, commentator that I wrote. They they don't know what else to say, but they kind of say, where are you staying? What are we getting into if we follow you? And he invites them to come and see. Yeah, come and see the kind of life that I will lead you into. And that's the posture of the one who is held. We may not know where it will lead for sure or what it would demand, but he's the teacher. We become the students and we follow him with our identity firmly in the forgiveness of sins and the standing that he's given us and in the power of the Holy Spirit with which he baptizes us. Willing to take on the lifestyle that he teaches and models for us. Again, part of ridding the world of sin is not just forgiving it, but leading us to turn from it and to live in ways that are healthy and healing, honoring to God and good for those around us. So we follow him into those ways. And then the second thing that we see in this passage as we're held is that we would bring others to him. That's the impulse. That's the the instinct that comes from being held by him. And so we see Andrew... Who doesn't get nearly as much press as his brother but he's the one who told his brother "Yeah, you gotta come we found him this is the guy you got to come and follow him and and that's the posture when you're held by him you're like everybody's got to know this guy everybody's got to come and see him and so that's what we do through through faithful practice of worship and the rites of the sacraments here we bring others to him i mean don't miss that fact from the exodus 12 passage that reality that as we practice the rites the Lord's Supper baptism that God has given us, that is one of the ways that we invite people to behold Jesus. I, I love that. And when your children ask you, I hope that your children, as we're doing this every week, are asking you, why Why do we do this? What's the bread again? What's... And that you feel free to talk to them in the midst of it and tell them, yeah, this is really important. Uh, this is on the test, <laughs> if I can put it that way. And lean down and tell them, So we do that through what we do here as we invite people to see Jesus as he exalts himself and the means he's given and through inviting others into our lives and inviting them to see the Jesus that we see and and know why we follow after this one. And and I sometimes feel like it's on me to convince people to make Jesus palatable to them. I can't do that and I don't have to do that. What I can do is invite them to see what I see and behold what I behold. And that that can be scary. But remember this. (laughs) This. That's how every one of you, in some way or another, came to know the Lord Jesus. Somebody, somewhere, invited you to behold him. Whether it was your parents, as you're growing up and you just brought it. Whether it was peers, whether it was a preacher, whether it was a passerby. I was going with the peas. Whether it was a passenger on a plane. See, I got five peas in there. But somebody, somewhere along the way, invited you to behold this Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it had effect. So you don't have to do the effect. But we get to do the invitation as people who are held by Jesus. How great would it be in 2023 if we at Restoration heard and shared stories of other people beholding and coming to know this Jesus because we invited them to do so. One time, um, Carrie and I rented a movie on the recommendation of a friend. We watched it with a couple of other friends. And it was one of the few times where I was very, very close to just turning off a movie early on. About 30 minutes in, I was like... I do not, this is not what I was expecting and it seems like it's going in a not so desirable direction. But my friend who recommended it was a very sincere believer and somebody who I really respected as, as who had wisdom and discernment as he consumed all sorts of arts, but in particular movies and music. And so because of what I knew about entrusted about his character uh, we persevered watching the movie and right after we pressed on like it twisted and it turned and it became this beautiful redemptive story we loved it so much that for one of the only times in my life we invited the friends over again we watched it with them again the next night now most of you your most important thing is you want to know what the movie was but i'm not going to tell you because it's still not maybe for everybody and because the movie's not the point of my story. The point of my story is the proven character of my friend, which I beheld and then was held by. And the takeaway for us is that this life can often be different from what we're expecting, expecting and seem like it is going or it actually does go in not so desirable directions. And that is why we need to behold Jesus. In this passage and as he's revealed to us throughout the scriptures, so that because of what we know and trust and are held by concerning his person and his work, we will persevere following him in the power of the Holy Spirit and inviting others to do the same. So let me pray for us to that end. Jesus, fill up our vision with you through your word, by your spirit, in the worship, in the sacraments, in the lives of others who follow you. So that we may deepen our trust or put trust in you for the first time, maybe even today. And so that we will have the the strength to persevere, following you, inviting others to do so. Come what may. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.